Welcome to the inaugural episode of Me and My Dad Watch Anime. My name is Drew, and I'm here with my dad. Hello. And for our first episode, we're going to be breaking down the acclaimed Studio Ghibli movie, Spirited Away. This is supposed to be mostly a light-hearted look at the film. We don't profess to be Ghibli scholars or anime experts at all. Uh, but we're nonetheless huge fans. Really are just trying to have a good time, talk about some movies. So, Dad, why don't we kind of give our listeners a little bit of a context about who we are and how we're approaching this, and then we'll kind of hop right back into the movie. So, tell us a little about yourself. <laughs> Let's start with your age. Let's just get that out of the way. I am uh, 57. Great, great. And uh, still profess to be a fan of the... Uh, Ghibli studio films and anime in general. Um, I don't, I can't really remember exactly when I started becoming a fan. It's just sort of I watched them and I think I picked up on a lot of them through the internet, you know, people recommending them. But uh, have always been a fan and, and recently just got, you know, more involved now that uh, HBO Max had them. So I plan on watching the whole catalog and uh, looking forward to. Uh, Breaking down the uh, the whole Ghibli filmography. You got it. And, uh, well, I guess let's get my sort of intro out of the way. I'm 25 years old. I'm currently wearing a SpongeBob t-shirt. I have no job. I don't smell bad, although that really depends day to day. Yes, you're very well groomed. Yeah. I've really been a fan of the Ghibli movies since I was introduced to them by my dad. I remember a plane ride to Florida. We had a DVD player in my lap. He put on Princess Mononoke, and I remember a man's arms came off, and I was appalled. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, ever since then, I've definitely had my my ups and downs with anime. I've had some very sort of uh, scarring um, experiences, I guess is the best way to put it. But on the whole, I think it's a beautiful art form. And Spirited Away is one of those movies where it's... I guess just too good not to talk about. It's definitely one of the ones that I saw very early on in my introduction to anime. I must have been, jeez, 13 at least, 12, 13. Whenever it was coming on on Toonami, on Cartoon Network, they would always play, like, anime stuff. And this was about the same time I was waking up real early, about 5 in the morning, to watch the anime stuff and... You know, also catch the Girls Gone Wild uh, commercials on the Cartoon Network, <laughs> which was a crazy thing that happened. I don't know if you knew anything about this, but... Girls Gone Wild? Yeah, on the Cartoon Network at like 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, there was Girls Gone Wild commercials, and I would wake up in the middle of the night to watch those. Uh, but that's besides the point. Hmm, it sounds like when I was a, uh, a youngster myself and used to stay up late to watch the Canadian... Uh, our rate, yeah. <laughs> it was a Canadian French station. It was all in French, and you know, you'd catch That's a few, uh, you know, R rated scenes in there, you know, at about, you know, when you were like 11 or 12, you know, that was the closest that you came to any kind of uh, sexual uh, film. <laughs> yeah. I don't really feel it's appropriate for me to talk about the first time that I saw uh, the female body, but. Yeah, we'll probably skip that. We'll get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> so let's try to put the film into context. Spirit Away is obviously one of the biggest animation movies to ever be made. Yeah, second highest grossing anime film of all time. It did like $355 million worldwide. I think it only had about a 15 to $19 million budget, if I did the correct uh, calculations. Um, I think yen. they said it was. Well, yeah, it said sixteen million. Sixteen, okay. okay. Sixteen million made three hundred and fifty-five million. That's uh, pretty nice. Yeah, pretty, pretty, 
pretty good return good. for Mr. Miyazaki. Yeah. All I mean, on the whole, it's what rated in the high 90s on Rotten Tomatoes, which whether you believe those are valid sort of ratings is kind of besides the point, but on the whole, it was a smash hit. And uh, 2002 75th Academy Award winner, what it beat out? Ice Age, Lilo and Stitch, Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, which I've never seen, but I understand it, was, it to be um, about. Do you know what the Spirit movie is? I, I remember it vaguely. It's Katzenberg had some kind of involvement in that. Um, I don't know if that so was... Two Horses Falling in Love? Uh, <laughs> could be. I mean, obviously, I didn't watch it. Yeah, I just remember something about horse stuff, and I, I've tried to avoid uh, avoid like all horse related material. I, I know we definitely watched Lilo and Stitch. That was definitely religiously. Uh, yeah, and uh, Treasure Planet. I do remember that vaguely, but obviously uh, not a fan. And I, I've never been a fan of Ice Age. I don't. I don't. I can't tell you. I mean, well, I've you don't seen like Ray the Romano. <laughs> Yeah, no, it isn't about that. It was just, I I don't know. I think it was because they, I always felt that they were uh, second tier to the Pixar movies. Like, you know, that they were, mm-hmm. you know, they never really equaled that. But obviously they were pretty successful. They were, or that movie franchise was pretty successful. Treasure Planet was a movie that I did enjoy. I remember they had one character who was a sort of cat woman hybrid which was very confusing for me to first see uh at that particular age where anything really got my rocks off so i guess a lot of this stuff is kind of intertwined with my sexuality so i'm you're, everyone's going to learn a lot about me here so i guess the first sort of categories and that's primarily how we're thinking about going through this this podcast is kind of certain segments and we'll we'll, we'll talk about those when we get to them but the first one coming up is lost in translation and you did some research as to what exactly is lost or, yeah, just not exactly translated. Um, would you be able to, you know, elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, like, one of the first things, I mean, obviously the thing is, is when they're translating these from Japanese to American, a lot of times they feel that American audience is not going to understand, you know, the meanings that, you know the Japanese version had, so they they'll tend to to change them. And actually, the title here, the original title was "Sen to Shihiro no Kamaka something Kamakakushi Kamakakushi yeah something like that. And it said um, Kamakakushi uh, Kama whatever. Well, I can't yeah, say we'll it. we'll power through that. Yeah, I mean I'm not going to my, my Japanese my <laughs> Japanese is going to be horrible, so let's not even go there. But um. It's basically means being hidden away by the gods, and obviously in the American version we they uh, translated as spirited away, but it's interesting that it was sent to Chihiro with this other you know translation of being hidden away to the gods. Um, another thing that I found was in the scene where the stink spirit or actually the river spirit, basically after when he gets all cleaned. In the uh, American uh, version, or no, actually in the Japanese version, he says it. He says it feels good, but in the American one, he comes out and says, "Well done." Basically, I guess it's just changing the context of where you know he's basically saying, "Oh, you know, I've been cleansed." Where the other one, he's sort of praising uh, Chihiro for you know her good deed. And then there's another thing where No-Face is trying to offer Chihiro gold, 
and um, in the English one, she says, I don't want any, but thanks. And then in the Japanese, he, he basically says, I don't want any. Or she says, I don't want any. I don't need any. Mm-hmm. So that just shows you a little difference where she's, I don't know what the hell she's doing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely lost in translation, just the whole context of the film. I, I actually went back and watched it uh, in Japanese. Can't say that I didn't use subtitles, but when I, when I was watching it again, it was really weird. A lot of the, the sort of directness and definitely the sort of moral compass has been attuned in the English version to the Disney sort of state of mind. There's a lot more dialogue involving, like, you know, Chihiro specifically looking for Haku, and even just stuff is sort of just put in there that's unnecessary when you watch the Japanese version. Uh, when they're going through the, the, the flower you know, forest or whatever what do you want to call it, when they go into the pig pen, it's just all silent in Japanese. But they love to just insert dialogue to explain stuff to American audiences because in the Japanese version, I'm pretty sure, uh, from what I understand, Chihiro didn't even understand that the dragon was Haku. She just saw him sort of, you know, fluttering off into the air. It's like, oh, is that a dragon? And in the American one, it's like, wow, Haku is a dragon. Yeah. Uh, it's just really kind of funny to see, like, what American audiences need to be spoon-fed and then the silences that are allowed to be in Japanese films. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, obviously, and famously, like, they didn't cut any of the animation, so, I mean, they've taken liberties with the with the dialogue, but mm-hmm. they were told, and I guess it goes back to um, Weinstein mm-hmm. had, you know, basically been told, like, he can't, and I don't know which movie that was. It's Princess Mononoke. Oh, Princess Mononoke, mm-hmm. and uh, famously, he was told, no cuts, so, but... Send a katana. Uh, and that'll come up again in a different category, but he was Harvey Weinstein was sent a katana by Miyazaki's producer or somebody involved with him. He sent a, a, like a sword with that message, which I always thought was a pretty cool anecdote. Yeah, right. Do you have a particularly favorite scene, or just like what's your the standout moment for you in this movie? Um, I mean, most of the time I usually can think of a good scene. I mean, there's a lot of scenes within Spirit Away that I enjoyed. It didn't seem like it had this watermark uh, or this, you know, one definitive scene. I just was recently watching it and I sort of enjoyed the scene where the the, um, the river spirit is being, you know, taken care of and that whole, the chaos that ensues about that. It, it, the thing I always enjoy about Miyazaki's films is, and or this their animation mm-hmm. is there's just always a lot of motion going on. Like everything's sort of in motion. It's not just like focused on the characters. There's there's things going on in the background. He, there's always you know you always watch their hair. Their hair's always moving. Everything's in movement. He he just does amazing you know full scene animations. Yeah, from you know scene to scene, there's really very little stillness but at the same time there are moments for that and a lot of the movie seems to be just kind of moments where Chihiro is contemplating looking out on the water eating food it's not particularly an action-packed movie uh, although there is sequences of action and that kind of leads into my favorite scene is I love the whole sequence of no face just chasing her down from the moment that he sort of gets her in a room he's like I'm so lonely I'm so lonely and then he chases her down the hallway just like pushing people out of the way I remember that being a very particularly exciting scene for me the first time that I saw it. And No Face is such a 
funny character to me just because I love... I guess I love the American uh, actor who was doing the voice for the frog who would su- subsequently become the voice of No-Face, and it was just funny to see that particular character voiced by that particular voice, and it just made me laugh. Yeah. So the next category that I have, because this movie is so critically acclaimed, and it's really one of those things where very few people can have a, a good, bad opinion, I just wanted to seek out the bad opinions. I just kind of wanted to know what the people were saying about this movie. And I've compiled a few. I don't think really any of them go past two stars. And I'm using Letterbox as a sort of, you know, how I'm taking these things in. And it's, on the majority, everybody loves this movie. Like 50, you know, at least 50% have like five stars. So it's not like this is the, everybody's feeling this particular way. But this is a recent review. It was left by somebody named Aiden. And I'll read a little bit of it and I'll read a couple of them. It's a half star. Wow. Turns out Miyazaki beat Tim Burton to posing the question, what if Alice in Wonderland was boring as shit? Although I guess it's also kind of labyrinth, but not fun or exciting at all. I just don't get the love of this, and I don't felt, and I don't think I felt a single thing about the whole long movie. Uh, oh. The next one I found was by GC Evolution. It was a half star uh, on September 22nd, 2020. Fuck anime. All my homies hate anime. And I just respected the fact that he had to go out of his way to say it. Uh, this might be my favorite one just because it's completely out of place for ostensibly a child movie. It's one star by Sailor Nut, and you kind of already know where this is going. She wasn't as old or sexy as I'd expect from an anime. I don't care if this mother and inf- motherfucker invented anime. This shit is just a depressing story about some bitch on shrooms, which is rude. Uh, Douglas Wester on February 1st of 2020 with a half star said, yo, babies aren't that big. Really embarrassing mistake on Miyazaki's part. Have to give it 1 out of 10 for such a mess up. I don't even know if you can give 10 stars on Letterboxd, but let's just leave it there. I have two more. One star. My mom rented this for me when I was four because she thought it was the same as Pokemon. And after I watched it, I refused to take a shit alone because I didn't want my parents to turn into pigs. Fuck this movie. (laughs) And that's a very sort of funny thing that I kept seeing recurring in all the bad ratings was... It was all just people talking about the nightmares this movie gave them as a kid. And then they just go out of their way as an adult to trash it. I don't really know, uh, maybe if they're holding a grudge the whole time, but the nightmare thing was a lot of people. Everybody's like, oh, I'm so scared my parents are going to turn into pigs. Uh, and the final one that I found, two stars by uh, Fee Fell on July 20th, 2020. I got drunk as fuck and turned it off halfway to watch Jersey Shore. I guess the frog guys look cool. <laughs> And I, I would agree. I think that's fine. Uh, <laughs> the simple fact that he decided that Jersey Shore was more important to watch than uh, Spirit Away, well, I think that sort of says it all. Also, the timing of that particular comment. It's a July 20 uh, of this year. Why is he watching Jersey Shore? Is Jersey Shore still on? I don't know. I think they had one last season, but I don't know if they're still <laughs> doing something. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely a sort of interesting jump. If you're, I don't, I wouldn't say the Venn diagram, the the two circles are sort of intermingling for people who like anime and people who are watching Jersey Shore. Yeah, I'm part of the middle. I do like both. I think it's kind of funny, <laughs> but I I definitely just kind of felt for uh, Fee Fell there. I think it it doesn't. I think it actually. Excuse me. I think it does need to be brought up because it is such a stereotype in a lot of different uh, anime that I've come in contact with, especially some of the stuff that I love the most, being, you know, Neon Genesis Evangelion is one example. Uh, But bad anime parents, 
it's just a constant. Yeah. I don't really understand where the trope came from. Like, if Japanese parents are neglectful or just silly, like, what... What do you think is going on, especially in this movie? Like, how would you have gone about this whole situation as a, as a parent? Yeah. Yeah, that's something I've been uh, picking up on lately. I, I noticed that there's some bad parenting in these uh, Ghibli movies. Like, in the beginning, when they uh, are, you know, driving out to their new home, the father and the mother in Chihiro, they get lost. Obviously, he takes the wrong turn. And then he's just, like, speeding up this, you know, back road Gunning. at high speed. Yeah. yeah, he's got his daughter in the car, you know. No no seatbelt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's just, like, flopping around in the back. No seatbelt. And uh, he literally has to slam on the brakes as they, you know, hit the uh, entrance of the tunnel. And then, of course, you know, as they enter the uh, the uh, the tunnel and then they, they come to this uh, thing, which they assume is some type of animation, uh, not animation, uh, <laughs> amusement park, yeah. an old amusement park. You know, basically the father just, you know, goes on this, uh, starts sniffing out the food and basically is just, you know, has this one track mind to get to eat. And, you know, him and the uh, the wife sit down, start chowing down and literally they have no care what hero does she just yeah, like she's says, gone like, she walks away yeah, and they're like, just chowing down yeah they're just like okay well i'm just gonna take off and you know they have no idea where they are and they're so engrossed by eating food that they uh, have no uh care for what she's doing and what was there was a, a compilation of images that was recently released by ghibli studios for you know whatever sort of usage that you wanted to use but what was the thing that you found out about what they might have been eating i don't really remember yeah, there was um, one of the animators of the film. I think he, he was tweeting out that because there's always been some controversy. There's one particular object or, or food that the uh, the father's eating. And uh, people have always tried to guess what it is because it's some kind of strange like gelatin type looking thing. Yeah, it's he like a stomach or something. Yeah, exactly. It looks sort of like a stomach or something, you know, and he just inhales it. So supposedly that it, he said it was in the script or in the storyboards that it was the stomach of a coelacanth, <laughs> which is fish that was believed to be extinct. And uh, basically it's, you know, supposedly thousands of years old. I mean, I guess it's sort of, they, they call it the dino fish. Wow. And it was, you know, recently discovered. Um, so, like, how that made it into the storyboards is bizarre. You know, like, you know, Miyazaki just like, oh yeah, he, at one point he eats the stomach of a coelacanth. <laughs> I feel like that's like the least sort of big risk that he takes in this movie of just like, yeah, we're going to eat an ancient fish is like bottom bar of the barrel yeah. for his concern. I mean, I think I was in reading the article. I think he sort of walked it back a little bit. He was like, you know, and then he was sort of saying, well, I'm not really sure. I, I, I'm pretty, I think it was in the, in the storyboard, but you know, mm -hmm. so who knows if that's true, but. And he notoriously doesn't write anything from what I understand. He just kind of does shit on the fly, which I really think is a very sort of funny thing because when I think about animation, I think about hours and hours of preparation and apparently Miyazaki just comes up in the in the day he's just like all right well they're gonna eat a fucking fish and then yeah. they're gonna disappear like yeah I think I when I was watching the documentary I don't remember the the which one it was but you know basically he was always you know trying to figure out where the story was going you know they're sitting there in animation you know I think it was the wind also rises I think that was what the documentary yeah. was and that I, I can't remember the name of that documentary but it was the one that followed Miyazaki and Isawa Takahata, I probably said his first name wrong, but it's really great. Uh, we might even try to check that out at some point. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, definitely. So what would you say is the, the sort of takeaways that you 
have this movie because I definitely have some things that might not necessarily be the conventional lessons uh, from this movie, but I, I definitely took something home and I've stashed it away in uh, my life lessons. Uh, yeah, take it easy at the buffet table. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I think I think most people, especially in the age of Corona, should probably stay away from all sort of buffets, especially foods that's just sitting out there in the open. Uh, well, actually, if it's outside, who knows? Um, one of my major lessons was uh, puking is actually good for you, <laughs> which is a little bit, comp- yeah. uh, you know, it might be sort of a, a controversial sort of lesson, but I can't tell you how many times I've had a good puke and completely sort of revitalized my life after that. Um, I didn't necessarily need to eat a, a magic emetic dumpling to get there, but emetic <laughs> dumpling. Yeah. yeah. What exactly? <laughs> I'm wanna... not sure why the river spirit gave her that. You know, like I, I guess he had. I mean, why would he think that he needed to give her something that basically going to make anybody puke? I mean, it might have been a prank. <laughs> it's just like, all right, yeah. Eat it's this. like it's thanks medicine. for the bath, and uh, here's a uh, emetic. You know. Turd. <laughs> something to make you feel a little queasy yeah i mean the, the thing the other thing is i i i was just laughing was when uh the parents you know then when when chihiro comes back and finds them as uh as pigs mm-hmm. and uh you know it's turning dark and the uh the spirits are coming back out mm-hmm. and then basically one of them just like takes a spatula and starts slapping the crap out of them which seems here. like the right thing to do yeah if they won't it's leave. just like yeah it, i mean there was definitely a uh you know, get out before you're slapped is a good yeah, is a yeah. good lesson. Don't don't get hit in the face with a spatula. Yeah. Is there a moment in time that puking has just completely made your life better? I would have to say, yeah, it has. You know, I need an example. I'm uh, putting on the spot. If I'm going to be talking about my my sexual frustrations with the planet of uh, treasure, well, in bullshit. my youth, of course, and in my drinking days, I can think of many times where <clears throat> a little purge might you know help you. In your continuation in your drinking for the night. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think the number one puking instance in my life, it was Halloween of, I believe, 2015. I had a uh, yellow face on, which is not racist yellow face. I was a Simpson. I was Mar- <laughs> I was Marge Simpson. I was in a dress. Nikes. I don't even think I might have been wearing underwear. Um, but I was in a full Marge regalia, drunk as shit before the party. And I just remember going outside, puking, and coming back in, tucking my sort of my, my titties back in because my dress had fallen down, and the rest of the night was history. I was the, the you know the life of the party. So I have a, a couple of games that I have uh, set up that I, I, I <laughs> I've sort of surprised you with them since I haven't really given you a chance to look at the questions or even the options. But the first one is going to be three truths and a lie. Okay. And what I'm going to be uh, describing is three scenarios that uh, haven't happened with the, the preparation of this movie or the history of it, and then one real one, and you're going to have to guess. Okay. So the first one is, uh, the parents were originally turned into cows, but due to an outbreak of swine flu in Japan and a pushback by the Japanese beef market, the mother and father were changed into pigs instead to better suit the political climate and appease the film's investors. The second option is... After the American distribution partnership for the film Princess Mononoke, where Miyazaki famously sent Miramax founder Harvey Weinstein a katana with the message, No Cuts, Harvey Weinstein subsequently returned the favor after the 2003 Oscars by sending a large spit-roasted pig to Miyazaki's personal uh, studio with the message, Enjoy it while it lasts. 
the third option is the Japanese actress voicing the mother was actually eating buckets of KFC while she was recording her lines. But the American actress did not do the same thing, but she was only eating apples. But they were both eating at the same time while they were recording. And the fourth option is, much like Chihiro was based on a real 10-year-old, Miyazaki knew in real life. Yababa was based on the European wife of Yasuo Atsuka, his longtime mentor, who he had met while he was participating in a Toei animation apprenticeship in the 1980s. I actually know this one. Do you? Yeah, I know what the truth is. Which one is it? It's the one about eating the uh, Kentucky Damn. Fried Chicken. That sucks. Yeah. I mean, I guess we both did sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I, I mean, the first one, I was just like, oh, yeah, maybe that, you know, that, that could have had some truth, you know. They didn't want to use cows and they uh, switched to swine. But, yeah. Uh, I tried to make them at least sort of, like, believable. No, the, those were good, man. You had me going for a while, man. I was like, I have no idea. But then I happened to have read about the... Uh, the eating the Kentucky Fried Chicken to, uh, yeah. Next time, the next movie, I'm going to get better with these. <laughs> these ones are really going to stuff you. All right, the next question game that I'm trying to play is, were you paying attention? Uh, this is, you know, questions about the sort of obscure stuff that's happening in the background or stuff that you might not have missed uh, or might not have seen on the, f- oh, excuse me, the stuff you might not have seen on the first viewing, but, you know, Miyazaki's a master. He's putting everything in there. So, in the beginning of the movie, what American brand of candy is in the back seat with Chihiro? Is it A, M&M's, B, Kit Kats, or C, Jelly Belly Jelly Beans? I want to say Kit Kat. You are correct. <laughs> wow. Yeah. This is, we're adding up points here. I have a cash prize. Don't you worry. <laughs> uh, okay, question number two. What type of car was Chihiro's dad driving at the beginning of the film? Was it a BMW, a Mercedes-Benz, or an Audi? It was an Audi. Correct. All right, question number three. Throughout the film, you see a species of chicken people walking around the bathhouse. What are they wearing on their head? An eggshell, a rice bowl, or a leaf? Hmm. Can't say that I know this. I'm going to say a rice bowl. You're wrong. It's a uh, leaf. Oh, leaf. <laughs> they just have some sort of leaf hat. Yeah. All right, question number four. Excluding the conductor, Chihiro, No-Face, the Harpy, and Bo, how many people are on the train that takes them to Swamp Bottom? Is it three people, four, or five? I think it was three. It was five. Whoa. All right, question, I believe this is number five at this point. What animal is on the witch's seal that Haku steals from Zaniba? Is it a frog, a pig, or a dragon? Mm, I'm going to say dragon. It's a frog. <sighs> yeah, there was a lot of frogs in that movie, so it makes sense. There were a lot of frogs, <laughs> and I want to kind of bring that up later. All right, final question. What color are Chihiro's shoes? And bonus point, if you can guess the color of the shoe that was also lost in the river. Was it A, blue, B, Yellow or C, red? Yellow. Yellow, and what was the color of the shoe in the river? Shoe in the river? The one that she lost when she met Haku. Oh. I'm going to say blue. Pink. Pink. So close. Damn it. You were about 50%, maybe a little bit more. So that was a good one. I can only start sort of Venmoing you money once you get all of them. So I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, The next category... We're tentatively calling it Put Him on the Rushmore. And I've sort of 
you know, broken down this movie. I've been looking at, you know, what sort of stuff is exceptional or maybe just interesting about the movie and seeing where it compares with other things that I've maybe seen before. And this is drawing from a lot of different, you know, TV shows, movies. There's a lot of sort of references here. And I'll give you some honorable mentions, and hopefully I'm going to give you a is top four. Is this the anime Rushmore, or are no. you talking about the Ghibli? I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about this in terms of, like, how this spans out with all of sort of, like, movie history. So I'm going to give you some examples here. So, the animated talking baby Rushmore. Does Bo the Baby, a big talking baby, beat out Boss Baby, a baby executive in a suit voiced by Alec Baldwin, Tommy Pickles... The star of the Rugrats television show, Stewie Griffin, a baby genius from Family Guy, or Baby Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And I do have some honorable mentions, and these are specifically here because they don't talk. And it's Maggie from The Simpsons, Jack-Jack from The Incredibles, or Baby Yoda. So, of those four that I gave you, is Bo better than them, and is he worthy of being on the, the talking baby Rushmore? And these are the all-time, all-time yeah. babies. No, I don't, I don't think he even makes... Even comes close. Doesn't even come on the list now. Okay, yeah, because mostly the time he's around. I'm actually, I'm thinking he's bottom. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I yeah. really do. There's even a scarier big baby in Rugrats that I would put over Bo. I can't remember this specific episode, but Angelica has some sort of nightmare episode where she just sees this crazy big baby. So I would agree. I don't think Bo, I don't think Bo sort of... No, he just didn't have enough and, you know... And, uh, he really wasn't a featured part of the film. Yeah. Until maybe the end, but um, no. Wasn't there for you? No. All right. The most iconic, identical TV and movie duos. Does Yubaba uh, and Zaniba beat out Mary-Kate and Ashley from Full House and all the other sort of empire that they created? Adam Sandler's Jack and Jill, which is kind of a cop-out, but they look the same because it's the same person. Uh, the Winklevoss twins from The Social Network. And then Fred and George Weasley from the Harry Potter movies. And something about these categories is the honorable mentions. If you don't think the ones that I have up there are good, you could pick any of the ones that I have at the honorable mentions or whatever one that comes to mind. So here's a few. The twins from The Matrix, the little girls from The Shining, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito in Twins, <laughs> Lindsay Lohan from The Parent Trap, the Wonder Twins, which if you don't remember are those superheroes where one could turn into anything and the other turns into some sort of water-based bucket of shit. I don't really remember. Uh, Phoebe and Ursula from Friends or Charlie and Donald Kaufman in 2002 uh, adaptation. Does Baba and Zaniba get on the Rushmore of twins? I'm going to say no. 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 I feel like you're right. I feel like at least, but, I mean, I think the Jack and Jill one is the weakest one, but it's yeah. still iconic. I think maybe if there was a Spirit Away sequel and they were a little bit more featured that uh, they might, you know, make a run at that, but right, right now, no. Right. It's a hard, it's, this is a hard start for Miyazaki. He's not yeah. really standing out. Yeah. All right, you might like this one. Rushmore of characters who smell like shit. <laughs> Does the stink spirit beat out Mr. Hanky, the talking Christmas poop from South Park, Oscar the Grouch from Sesame Street, Captain Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean or Gollum from The Lord of the Rings. And the honorable mentions are Shrek, the entire cast of The Walking Dead, Solomon Grundy, and Stinky Pete from Toy Story 2. No, I can't. I what can't are you talking <laughs> I, I can't put him there. I guess. I guess he is like a river spirit in disguise, so... 
damn, dude, I really, I want, I want Miyazaki to get on there. I want him to be able to, yeah. you know, have his place in history. I, I almost went there, but I just. What's I the know. weakest they, one in your mind? This is my favorite category so far. What's the weakest character in the, the the characters who smell like shit, who would at least have their their top spot sort of threatened? Uh. Who's the weakest? Yeah, of Mr. Hanky. Oscar I don't even Grant. know who's Mr. Hanky. You, how do you not know who Mr. It's just a poop. It's just literally a piece of shit who wears a Christmas hat and he talks to the various characters of you know South Park. Oh yeah, I can't say that I'm a huge fan. Oh, not that I'm not a I fan. I remember you I... had a, a South Park album. You used to have these big stacks. Yeah, of CDs. yeah, but it was somebody had given it to me. I didn't. Oh, I didn't buy gift. it. It just. Yeah. Who gave that to you? I have no idea. I think somebody just like left it at the house or something, and I just put it in my collection. But Damn. I certainly didn't buy it. I always thought you did. I was like, "Wow, Dad likes South Park." Yeah. It was right next to the the Fifty Cent album, which I absolutely stole. No, there's definitely some South Park that's that's funny as hell. But yeah. I mean, I just can't tell you that I've you know, it's just not something I've watched. I can't tell you a whole lot about it. I know it's hugely popular and famous, but okay, okay. Here's another one that might be a little bit hard for Mr. Miyazaki. The Rushmore of Pigs. Does the parents beat out Porky Pig, Piglet from Winnie the Pooh, Miss Piggy, or Pumbaa? And the honorable mentions are Wilbur, Ham from Toy Story, Babe, the Three Little Pigs from Shrek, Old Major from Animal Farm, Peppa Pig, and Spider Pig from Simpsons movie. <laughs> I would have, The thing is, the pigs don't really have... There's no... You know, they didn't do any acting. It's not about just, like, how important they were in the movie. It's more just the iconic. Because this is, uh, obviously, this has affected people for uh, years now. People have nightmares about their parents. Oh, yeah. So, well, you got to think about the bigger that perspective. Yeah, yeah you got to think outside of, yeah. like, just the Oh, movie. I mean, if, well, I guess it all depends on how you're, you're, you're um, classifying them. But, um, yeah, if you want to put it that way. I would think that, yeah, pigs are, uh, you know, this is their... Uh, this is a coming out party? Yeah, exactly. For Or at least the horror of the pig, you know what I mean? For, well, who has for, to go out of the top four? If you got to fucking take one out of the way to put another person on the Rushmore. Out of Porky Pig, Piglet, Miss Porky Pig, pig Porky Pig. You yeah. get rid of the iconic... Yeah. Yibbity, yibbity. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Greatest binge eaters of cinema and TV history. Does No Face beat out Augustus Gloop from Willy Wonka and the Cho uh, Chocolate Factory, Fat Bastard from Austin Powers, The Cookie Monster from Sesame Street, or Shaggy and Scooby from Scooby-Doo? And a couple of honorable mentions are Homer from The Simpsons, Hurley from Lost, Winnie the Pooh himself, Eric Cartman, Garfield, Dagwood Bumstead from the comic Blondie, or Jughead from Archie. Who who is this? What, what the is greatest this? binge eaters from no or no faces the 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 person who's trying to get on the the Rushmore. Oh yeah, he's definitely on the Rushmore for binge eating. Okay, so I who mean, is he, he knocking out? Um, it's a Gloop, Fat Bastard, Cookie Monster, and Shaggy and Scooby Doo who get to have a, a shared space on the map. I'm gonna have to say Cookie Monster's out. He he was just strictly you know, cookie he was strictly based. cookies, man. You know. I guess, I guess. Yeah. Augustus Gloop, I mean, that's a pretty... That was the one that I would have kicked out just because, you know, he gets killed off. But I think I think you're making the right choice there. <laughs> Gloop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last Rushmore question that I have, is this Spirit Away 
on your personal top four animated films of all time. Not just anime. Because Spirited Away is considered to be one of the greatest films of all time. Not just animation, but especially animation. So is this in your personal top four? And if it's not, can you name maybe something that's better in your mind? No, I'd definitely say it's in my top four at this point. But uh, there's a lot of Ghibli movies that I have not watched, so... Mm -hmm. I'm gonna leave that open, but right now it's definitely in my uh, my top four. Do you know anything that's? Can you sort of name anything else that might sort of be there? Do you have that kind of recollection at this point? No, I don't think I have a large enough catalog to uh, to make that. I mean, I just recently watched um, Ponyo. I mean, because this could be like Toy Story, this could be like Wall-E, like every animation, oh, oh, all the animation yeah. movies. Well, that, that's something I wanted to bring up, though, because, I mean, I look at this kind of animation a little different than, you know, I mean, obviously Pixar now is a huge giant in animation, but computer-generated animation, to me, is not in the same category, I feel. It's not hand-drawn. Yeah. You know, I mean, if we're talking hand-drawn... I mean, I think that they really need to be separated. Um, well, we could even go back to like old sort of Disney movies too, like the whole sort of before the. the oh, computer. so you're? I thought you were talking in terms of animation. No, no, I'm talking about like I mean, all anime. your all personal animation top four. Well, I've been. I mean, Toy Story always, basically. I mean, if we want to consider that part of the sure. animation category, but. All the Toy Story movies have a special because I remember specifically when the that those came out and that was like a huge event in our family, mm -hmm. you know, bringing you kids. And I actually remember seeing Toy Story two, where we saw the very first. We were in Disney World and saw the very first showing of Toy Story two, and it was the first like all digital presentation, like it was a digital. You were there. I mean, you were just small. I was old. Yeah, yeah you don't <laughs> I don't remember. really remember. But they literally came out on stage and you know and announced that you know this is a mm -hmm. you know a landmark thing. It was all digital. I mean, I think the you know the the projector was digital, but it was an all digital showing, and we were literally there uh, to witness that. We were part of history. Yeah, we were part of history, which we had no idea when we went in to see it. We just happened to be there, and it was the opening of of Toy Story two. Damn. And, um, but I love the Toy Story movies. So the next category is trying to think a little bit past sort of the end point of this movie and really try to see something maybe for ourselves. Where, where exactly are we thinking that these characters are going to be going in the future? And is there a possibility of a sequel for how they're moving forward? Um, I have a few sort of ideas about potential sort of future histories of these characters. I don't think there's any way Chihiro doesn't start working for Parks and Rec. I think she's going to start trying to save, you know, the rivers and, and try to essentially just make sure Haku is uh, able to essentially get back to his river. Which is funny, in the Japanese version, they do uh, kind of leave it open that the river is still there. Um, he says that it was only, I mean, it's running under whatever sort of thing they built over it. But in the American one, it seems like it's just completely taken out of the picture, like the, uh, the river. Well, I thought up. when they cross it over to the, um, when they come through the tunnel, there's a river, you know, they see they you know, there was a river that's dried up. And doesn't that river fill up? Well, the, the Kohaku River is what, I don't know if that's the same exact one. 
but I know the Kohaku River that is Haku's home, apparently. In the American version, they make it seem like the river has just been taken out of the picture by some sort of parking lot or apartment complex. Yeah. But in the Japanese version, in the translation that I watched on HBO Max, it makes it, they say explicitly that the river is still running, but just underneath everything. So I think Chihiro is probably uh, probably a little bit involved with trying to save, save the forest and the rivers, probably has a really sort of complicated relationship with water or just rivers in general. I don't know how she kind of feels about that, if she's still in love with this character. Um, have you sort of put any thought into this? Because I definitely have uh, two more that I feel like are, are pretty pretty close to what might happen. No, I mean, other than, uh, you know, No Face obviously has a, uh, uh, a new career in knitting. You know, he's yep. taking that up. So yep. he's definitely going to... Uh, Maybe start a small business selling uh, on Etsy. You think? Yeah, making <laughs> making a living on yeah, Etsy. Yeah, exactly. I think for No Face, he's a particular character that I don't think he's going to last very long with Zaniba. Although No Face is explicitly a character that reflects back the the people around him and the sort of environments that he's in. I think at some point that man is going to get some agency. He's going to run away to America. He's going to be in the hot dog eating contest. He's going to beat Kobayashi and Joey Chestnut and take all of their prize money because this man is going to put down 100 hot dogs in however many minutes that it takes. Joey Chestnut puts down 70. I don't think he even has a chance. Yeah, he would definitely be the uh, hot dog eating king, no doubt. I mean, that that's definitely in his future. I definitely see Kamaji. Uh, this kind of plays into the, the next category, but Kamaji is, in my mind probably going to get a, a pretty sort of sad diagnosis from the doctor pretty soon. He's chain smoking, inhaling all that charcoal smoke. I see him becoming the roasted nude Walter White. <laughs> I see him, you know, cultivating some sort of, uh, I don't even know. He probably is going to team up with Lynn. He, she could be the sort of Jesse Pinkman in the situation. They try to get out of Yababa's employment, but oh, I don't so think... they're going to go into... Uh... So selling roasted newts? Yeah, they're going to start baking them, and, I mean, they're going to essentially get into the Walter White situation. Yeah. They're going to get into a life of crime. Yeah. I don't think there's any way that you can get out of your Baba's uh, Yeah, it employment. would appear that roasted newt is the equivalent of... Um, methamphetamine. Methamphetamine. <laughs> In the spirit world, I mean, you know, they, yeah. they definitely are, are jonesing for that, you know? I mean, it basically can get anybody to do anything for a roasted newt. Which is such a funny sort of detail, because, I mean, our frogs... I mean, do they eat newt yeah. like that? Yeah, it's, well, maybe. You know, one amphibian to another. I mean, that's sort of, you know, going down the... Going down the rabbit hole there. No, not the rabbit hole, <laughs> but, you know, there's sort of some relations there. It's sort of slightly cannibalism, maybe. I don't know, but... <laughs> <laughs> and this, uh, well, you actually, I mean, I know you said you didn't actually think of anything, but you did, you did uh, touch on something that I thought of myself that Yubaba might have a gambling problem. And you can maybe elaborate on the, this thought, but I, I can kind of see where you were going with it. Yeah, well, one thing you always notice, she's always counting her money, she's always got all this money and jewels, and there's one scene where she's, you see her flying back um, to the uh, bathhouse, and she's, like, holding a sack, and she's got these, you know, Oakley glasses on, you know, some kind of dark sunglasses, and I'm thinking, like, she, you know, pulled an all-nighter at a, you know, local Backwoods. Game. Yeah. <laughs> you know, basically, you know, took her winnings home and uh, maybe had a little, you know, trying to hide that she's, you know, a little bloodshot-eyed. But, uh, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm questioning whether she had a, a late-night poker game. Do you think she loses the bathhouse in the next five years on a gambling, or is she too sort of, you know, tight-fisted? I don't think she'd let that happen. Yeah. She's got too many magical powers. and That's probably why she, you know, she's probably, you know, taking people to the cleaners because she can probably, you know, read their hands and stuff like that. So, you know. Damn. She's got to go to Vegas, dude. Japan does does not yeah. have the sort of gambling. Which world brings that she needs. up a uh, question I have: Is just like why do people or these uh, the workers in this in this uh, bathhouse in the spirit world actually need money? What are they all looking for gold, and they want to you know what are they going to spend it on? I mean, I guess the markets are still the same. I mean, there's food to buy. Really, it seems like they're just mostly food. But I, I guess currency is a sort of kind of weird thing to have when you're already dead. Especially if you're just not even like a normal human spirit. Like a lot of the kami that are involved in the the spirited away universe are just representations of whether it be some sort of animal or, you know, a spirit of the fucking forest or the river. Like, what does a river care about money? It is a good question. I definitely understand where you're coming from there. I mean, because I think some of the whole, the, the aspect of the movie is that, you know, greed is bad and gluttony and... Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, why would the spirit world, you know, want to be involved in that? You know, you wouldn't think that they care about money. I guess it kind of follows you with you. If you're if you're greedy <laughs> in real life, it's just going to follow you when you're dead. Uh, the next category that I had here, um, I don't know if you had compiled anything, so maybe you could just kind of give me notes on mine. But I tried my darndest to sort of picture myself as a Disney executive because, you know, rumor has it that... Uh, Apparently, Disney is looking to make Studio Ghibli movies into live-action ones. And if I'm in the room, I feel like I'm just trying to trying to do my best to throw a few names out there. And these probably are not particularly good. Uh, I don't want anything to be offensive, since this is a mostly a Japanese-related film. I'm just kind of trying to picture how Disney could fuck this up. Um, so for the director, I, I said that it would probably be someone like Guillermo de Toro if they were going to do a live-action recast because he's got that weird sort of, you know, fantasy aspect to his movies. Yeah. Shape yeah. of Water, Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. And then I had uh, Carrie Joji Fukunaga, who is just time to jump on a, a Disney movie as another sort of option, who uh, is known for, you know, Beast of No Nation. He did the Maniac TV show. He did a couple episodes of True Detective. And I guess he's going to be the director of the new Bond film, which... I don't have sort of too much involvement in the Bond movies, but I like, you know, the work that I've, I've seen from him. Uh, so, do you have you seen the Florida Project? No. No. I, you haven't seen? I feel like you did. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. I did. Yes, you're right. The movie, the Florida yeah. Project, yes. So, with a lot of these characters, the way that I kind of tried to cast them, because unfortunately I don't know too many real sort of Japanese actors, and I did, you know, try to do my research and see who maybe kind of look like the characters or who was in the right age range. Um, but, you know, putting myself back into the, the Disney mindset, I definitely imagine that they would try to lean towards more Americans. Um, so I thought the little girl, the Brooklyn Prince, she's 10 years old. She kind of even looks like Chihiro. I feel like that would be a pretty good uh, casting. Either that, if they're really going to try to capitalize on the, the Stranger Things and the Millie Bobby Brown machine, they'd either cast her as the Chihiro character. Helen Mirren would be my Yababa in Zaniba. I think she has a big nose for that. How do you how do you think of that casting? Because I think that's my only good one. Yeah, no, that's actually perfect. Okay. 
Right. Uh, that might be your best one right there. Yeah. Well, I've Other only than had... Del Toro. <laughs> Del Toro is probably a perfect director for the film also. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm glad I got some notes because I was a little worried. I have a couple options for Lynn. Um, I tried to cast it as a as a as an Asian actor just because I didn't want to make this an all white cast, which would be kind of crazy. Uh, Contus Wu from Hustlers, Fresh Out the Boat. Brenda Song would be another option for me from The Sweet Love of Zach and Cody or The Social Network as the Crazy Girlfriend or Aquafina. All these sort of women have you know sort of comedic uh, impulses, and I think they would sort of fit the sort of wisecracking, you know, tough girl uh, exterior that Lynn puts on, and I think. The next one that I... Actually, this might be my favorite. Brian Cranston is Kamaji. And I know you had a, your own sort of casting as this, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. I For some reason, it came to me that maybe Nick Nolte... <laughs> Booze and smoking. Yeah. <laughs> Working uh, in the boiler room. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. He, he, maybe he's... Uh, I always... Uh, I, I picture him like when he was in 48 Hours, that, you know, the gruff freaking, mm-hmm. you know... Cigarette smoking, you know, whiskey drinking type of dude, and mm. uh, you know, which which lends, you know, I was always wondering what Kamaji has in that that you know tea tea kettle. Yeah, he's just swigging it right yeah, when he wakes yeah, up. Yeah, exactly, and he doesn't drink it like you know he doesn't pour a cup, man. He just like takes it like he's hitting off the you know the moonshine jug. Hey, when you're kind of in a in a hot boiler room all day, I don't think I would really particularly yeah. want to be sober most of the time. I yeah. mean, I'm in a comfortable living right now. I'm a barely sober. Uh, my next one is primarily just because, well, actually it's two, uh, two actors that for the regular, no, no voice, no face. I have Vin Diesel who has a history of just doing voice acting that asks you to do very little. Uh, Groot is one example and the Iron Giant is the other. I feel like that's a very sort of Disney move to just say, all right, Vin Diesel, come in, just kind of make some sort of like, ah, ah, noises and essentially kind of fill out your contract. The speaking version of uh, No Face would be Aziz Ansari, and I think that's, I think that's a pretty good one. He's got that weird sort of like high pitch voice. I think he kind of matches like the the frog character. I think that would probably work the best. For, for some me. reason, I'm I'm thinking No Face would be Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I mean, whatever. It really, you would... know, he's sort of playing like. Uh... You know, because how No Face is just like, uh, uh, yeah. and you know, Keanu Reeves would be playing like, you know, Bill and Ted's, you know, Excellent yeah, yeah, Adventure, yeah, yeah. and you're just like, oh, uh, uh, well, hey. Uh. <laughs> so it's like a surfer bro. Yeah, exactly. That's a pretty good one. I, I would be okay with Keanu. He's definitely more Asian. Well, actually, Vin Diesel is, uh, I don't really know. I don't know Vin Diesel's ethnicity. I'm not going to guess. Um, so Haku is actually one that I had a real hard time with. I really didn't know what to do because... For one, Chihiro is 10, and the Haku character is older. He feels like he's older. He acts like he's older. He's a river. I, mean, well, I think I read that most people say think he's like 12, like supposedly in terms of his age. But I Yeah, know. I was looking for any sort well, of Of course, actor. he's a river spirit, so I mean, he's probably ageless, but... Yeah. Well, I was going through, you know, lists and lists of people who are actors in the specific ages. I went from, you know, 10 to... 20 whatever um really didn't find anybody good tried to think outside the box and maybe ways that disney would be able to use a little bit of that money i think cgi recreated river phoenix as a young you know haku i think that's a rock solid choice 
Because I know they're going to make a movie with a, a recreated James Dean. Really? Yeah, that's a, something that apparently is like in the works, where they've just recreated James Dean and sort of, you know, whatever computer program that they're using for the movie. Yeah. I think that's okay. Uh, I have a uh, actor from the Abrell Academy who... I haven't really seen that show too much, but I, I've seen the actor, and he plays a younger version of one of the characters. His name is Ethan Huang, uh, and I really, you know, I, I tried to I tried to find a little bit of everything. Uh, we have another one of where it's like time travel or CGI. Dane DeHane, or who is, I wish we could pull it up here, but he was in uh, the Place Beyond the Pines. He's got that weird sort of. I I just picture him in a bob, and I think it would be funny. <laughs> And my funniest uh, casting for Haku, especially if they do the Millie Bobby Brown for uh, Chihiro, would just be Finn Wolfhard, who, I don't know if you've seen this man, but he is 17 years old. He's probably like six foot something. He's just a gangly looking dude. Has no right to be Haku. But I just love the idea of Finn Wolfhard in a straight bowl cut, just <laughs> running around, just being awkward and gangly. And it just made me laugh a lot. And I think that would be, uh, I think that would be a fine choice. So we're coming down to the last two categories. Uh, the next one is going to be questions for the director. And it's really just a compilation of things that are unanswered or things that we've kind of came across and talked about with each other that didn't seem to really make a lot of sense. Um, what were a few you know, questions that you had that you felt like were unanswered or just something that you would love to kind of know a little bit more about? Well, um, you know, I was questioning whether Yubaba has uh, Munchausen syndrome by proxy. That's fair. Because uh, at one point the baby says, uh, you know, that she doesn't let him go outside because of the germs. So, you know, she's a little uh, overprotective mm -hmm. and um, probably had him convinced that, you know, he's he's going to uh, get all uh, sick if he goes outside. And I, <laughs> the thing about Bo is it's funny that I, you know, picking this up and now in 2020, I resonated with that character a lot. I, too, cry when people don't want to play with me. I'm also very scared of germs. I don't want to go outside. Uh, this is all new to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm only revealing this now because we're on camera. Or, excuse me, uh, being recorded, and I want to reveal myself. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a secret sort of COVID situation for me with uh, Spirited Away. Um, I also kind of wanted to know, are all the pigs humans? Is that whole entire pig farm just, like, people? Yeah, that's a good question. Because they all converted humans. Because I'm wondering... If this place is sort of like almost a, a trap that humans come in and then, I mean, I I hope she's not harvesting humans and turning the pigs to then feed her guests. Well, I got to wonder, <laughs> this kind of plays into another question I have is why is all the frogs, uh, or excuse me, why are all the men frogs? All the guys are frogs, or that's most of all. Yeah, that's true. And all the women are, look human yeah i don't really understand like what's the difference yeah. and why uh chihiro just apparently smells awful and then also good yeah it's well sort of, of course weird... they said um haku says that once they start eating the food there that they won't smell her or something weird like that at yeah. some point in the movie which i don't know how that why that is but yeah that's a good question i, I had the same thing i don't understand why there's actually you know because it seems like they don't want to employ any humans like humans are just not you know wanted there but and why i mean why is uh zaniba so mad about employing anybody she also says i took an oath and one of the 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 translation from japanese the subtitles said you know i pledged an oath to hire whoever asked for a job I was like who is she asking this from who is she pledging this oath from that she has to hire whoever sort of comes to her 
And why is she so mad about it? Yeah. She's pissed. <laughs> She's like, I hate to employ somebody like you. It's like, why? She's trying to sell her slight, like her whole life away to you. Yeah. Uh, well, even Kamanji doesn't want to, you know, like yeah. give her a job. He just like wants to pawn her off to, you know, Yubaba. Who do you think is Bo's dad? Or that's really my question. Is like, who is that the That is father? a good question. <laughs> Where is this old ass woman getting a big ass baby? Is... I know. I mean, because she's old and this baby is like. Brand new. Yeah. And huge. Yeah. For one thing. Are there giants in this sort of, yeah. you know, spirit universe? And is Yababa just kind of getting it all yeah. the giants? Because, you, know, I, I, you know, I'm just wondering if, you know, was this baby, you know, normal size when it was born? Or is it some kind of mystical, you know, birth? <laughs> Well, considering the size of Yubaba's head, I have to imagine that just, like, you got to grow into it. Yeah. I, I mean, that would probably hurt coming out, but, I mean, the baby <laughs> is just the same size as her, just bigger. Actually, she's much bigger than him. So I don't really know how that even worked in terms of birthing that kid. Uh, what happens when they get to the new house? I mean, how many days have passed? It's probably been at least three days, at least. Yeah, that is a question because when they come back out, Everything is sort of overgrown. The car is all covered in dust. And, um, but I was also thinking, in like maybe when they first got there, it was sort of an illusion that it was, you know, pers- you know, that it was all, uh, it sort of invited them in. But it really actually, once they left, they realized that it was just overgrown, you know. But hmm. I don't know. I don't know if it's, you know, a large amount of time. But uh, they probably pissed off the movers. <laughs> the movers are probably kind of confused as to what happened. There might even be some sort of police search going out for them that yeah. they just sort of disappeared. Exactly. There's a lot of questions to be asked uh, once they get to the new house. What was exactly Haku... Why was he stealing the seal? Like, who told him to go there? What did the seal do? That was something that I didn't particularly understand. That he was going to steal this thing from Zaniba on yeah, Baba's behalf. That's a good uh, good question. I, yeah, it was never answered. Um it was essentially just a plot device to get the the slug out of his body. Yeah. But... Well, he just thinks it lends itself to the fact that you know Miyazaki just sort of like comes up with this stuff on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like yeah, he goes and steals the seal, and then you know, Chihiro's got to return it or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just like okay. There's a lot of questions with, I guess, just the plot, and that seems to be a lot of the the lower reviews on Letterboxd that I came in contact with, with people just complaining about the plotlessness or the lack of any sort of logic, which I don't really care about, you know, plot and logic or who cares. Yeah. Uh, how does she not know that her parents are there? She, when she went to go see the pigs in the pig pen, when she was trying to give them the, the emetic dumpling, she can't tell the pigs apart. She's looking around, you know, she sees everybody. She's like, all right, mom and dad, like come and get this thing so I can cure you. All the pigs come up, they're super excited or whatever. She has no idea who the fucking parents are. Right. Why does she have suddenly some sort of recognition of the pigs when they're all lined up on the bridge? Which it also goes into a, a weird sort of translation thing with the movie, where from what I understand and what I picked up from the Japanese version was that that deal was not ever discussed. It wasn't discussed between Haku, it wasn't discussed between Chihiro, they just kind of showed up after they, you know, left Swamp Bottom, and you're like, all right, you know, we know the deal. Uh, you got to decide, you know, which one is your parents, and Chihiro's completely in the know. It, it was just a very sort of weird thing that they corrected in the English version, but I don't really know how that sort of conversation was had by the characters, and uh, 
the original sort of Japanese translation. Confused the hell out of me, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, I guess the only question that I have left is the, the final category. Uh, would you show this anime to your kid, your wife, and your grandmother, or none? And how would you sort of pitch it to them? Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem. I mean, to uh, to show any to any one of them. Um, obviously, for kids, I mean, if they've been weaned on uh, Disney movies, it might be a little confusing for them because it's not really you know as cut and dry or in it, you know, in terms of characters and mm-hmm. plot. Um, but it's a uh, yeah, I wouldn't have a problem. The kid thing, considering how many people I understand have some sort of negative reaction to this movie, I'm definitely tentative to sort of recommend it to a very young person. Um, my wife, that's a weird thing. Like, I don't know how you would explain how you would want to watch a, an anime movie to mom, yeah. but that that's a conversation that I'd probably yeah. want to avoid. I've, I've tried to show certain anime to uh, girlfriend's past. I remember I put on... Without context, I put on the Evangelion movie, End of Evangelion, and that lasted about 15 minutes. So that that didn't really work for me. Grandmothers, I think, has a real chance to maybe like this. There's a lot of strong old characters in this movie. Zaniba, you know, model granny. I mean, (laughs) Chihiro is, you know, the same kind of thing. Especially with, uh, or excuse me, yeah, Zaniba is... Probably the best case scenario for a grandmother. I don't think I would want Yababa, but Zaniba was like cool. He's gonna knit you something, cook you a little cake. Yeah. Maybe you know knit you some sort of hair tie, but I don't know. I, I think grandmothers maybe have some sort of in with this movie. Kids maybe it's a little scary. Wife probably not. Yeah. But yeah, that is the uh, end of all my questions and categories. I feel like that's the conclusion of our first episode of. Me and my dad watch anime. Very good. Yeah, I think that uh, wraps it up. We're almost a full bottle of wine deep. Yeah. <laughs> I think wine will definitely be part of the, the future. and. Uh, yeah, hopefully we only get better at making these. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thank you guys so much for listening. This is the me and your... This is the me and, <laughs> me and your dad. Sorry, me and your dad watching anime. <laughs> Me and my dad. Yeah, me and my dad watch anime. Yeah, and drink wine. No. Yeah, get drunk. Yeah. All right, bye, everybody. Bye.